Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, December the 7th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we take a look at a reading for the upcoming Sunday, which is the third Sunday in Advent, December the 13th. Readings are from Isaiah, 1 Thessalonians, and John. And John is talking about John the baptizer, which also was spoken of last week. We're going to be taking a look, though, at Isaiah chapter 61. This is now a third week where Isaiah is prominently shown as the Old Testament reading. In Isaiah 64, which was three Sundays ago, what was being heard is the law. Uh, The law was simply saying, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Now, preaching of the law is to accuse us of our inability to save ourselves. And therefore, that particular passage in verse 6 says, We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So that's kind of bad news. But then yesterday, Sunday, from Isaiah 40, we heard the gospel, starting with, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And talked about John the baptizer in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, making straight in the desert a highway for our God. And it says, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So that's the good news. Well, today we're going to be taking a look at Isaiah 61. Now, A lot of people may not realize that Jesus was preaching in his hometown, and it's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. And he preaches from this text in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And then he says, behold, this now is fulfilled right now. So Jesus is giving a message of who he is, and it is fulfilled. And who is he? From Isaiah 61. So, taking a look at Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. Now, that, of course, occurred at the baptism of Jesus, when the Spirit in the form of a dove, descended upon Jesus. 
And when it says the Lord has anointed me, that word for anoint in the Hebrew is Messiah and in the Greek is Christ. And Jesus is anointed. Now, we heard a couple of weeks ago that even Peter didn't understand it when he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he told Jesus, no, I'll protect you when you go to Jerusalem so you don't get killed. And Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because though Peter understood him to be the Christ, he had a view of the Christ that was kind of around in first century when Jesus was born, that the Christ was going to be an almighty individual who would come, restore Israel to its former grandeur, take care of Gentiles in Jerusalem, which would be the Romans. And nobody thought that the Messiah was coming in order to die. And that's what shocked the disciples. And I'm sure it shocked the people on Palm Sunday, singing hosannas, thinking that he was coming in to destroy the Romans, and instead he was put in the grave. But the Spirit of the Lord was upon him because God the Father had anointed him, had selected him, his only begotten Son, to come and take my sins and your sins upon himself. And he came to bring good news to the poor. Good news, the gospel is good news. And to the poor, that's not referring to those who are not wealthy, because that message also came to rich people like Abraham and Joseph of Arimathea. So the poor refers to that beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't have anything to offer God to offset our sins. You could do as many good works as possible, and it will still not offset the sins you have done against Almighty God by thought, word, and deed. So Jesus came to bring good news to the poor that he would take upon himself the punishment for our sin. And he has sent me, God the Father sends the Son, to bind up the brokenhearted. Who are the brokenhearted? They are those who are under the impression that they're going to get to heaven by means of their works. And they are broken because they realize that they are unable to do perfect works without some evil motivation or at times by some bad thought, etc. So they're brokenhearted. And he's going to bind up the brokenhearted. That is, he's going to bring them from the valley of depression up into the road of salvation. And to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who are the captives? Well, those are those captured by Satan. We're born in iniquity and sin. And therefore, we are in the kingdom of Satan. That's why we often, in the baptism of infant, refer to it as moving out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And 
that's when we are in the prison of unbelief and we're bound to the curse of the law. In the day that you sin, you will die and you will die eternally. Well, God opens up that prison because he takes away the punishment that we have. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. Now, why are they mourning in Zion? Well, Zion, of course, is the mountain upon which Jerusalem is built, and they're mourning because they're under the jurisdiction of the Gentile Romans. And we know what happens in 70 AD after Jesus has ascended into heaven is the Romans come and destroy the temple. So there's a lot of mourning in Zion until they hear the comfort that the kingdom of God is not found in a building made by Solomon or those who return from the exile or Herod. No, the kingdom of God is a holy Christian church, which anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a member of. So you receive a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Re remember, when Job, for example, came to repentance, he was in dust and ashes. But because of that repentance and his trust in God as his Savior, he, refu he refu received a beautiful headdress, a crown of victory. And he received the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Mourning means sadness the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. A faint spirit, I don't think I'm worthy enough to get to heaven. But the garment of praise, they're going to be talking about that because the very next phrase, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Now, how do you become an oak of righteousness? Well, in every other religion in the world, you become an oak of righteousness by doing good works, by pleasing your particular God, so that he is not only pleased with you, but he believes that you will be saved and therefore saves you. But that's not what Isaiah 3 says, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. This is so important to understand that any salvation that you and I receive is due to the word of the Lord. He plants us, and therefore the Lord is glorified. Paul talks about that when people are saying, I'm going to follow Apollos. Others say, I'm going to follow Paul. And Paul says, no, 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 no. One of us watered, one of us planted, but God gave the increase. Yeah, you can put all the seed in the ground you want. And I drive through Illinois about a thousand miles a week right now, going to various churches. And boy, was the corn ever up. And you couldn't even see 
across the road because the corn was so high. Now you can't find a cornfield because they have all been harvested, uh, taken away. But there is no farmer who would say, I grew that corn. No, he put the seed in the ground, fertilizer, prayed for water, or delivered water. And guess what? God is the one who did the planting, and God is the one who brought the growth. Verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, that actually happened. Remember the Babylonian captivity. Israel was taken into captivity, uh, Judah, and the temple was kind of destroyed. And they were in captivity for a number of years until the individuals who conquered the Babylonians let them return to rebuild the temple. But even after the temple was rebuilt, it sure didn't look like Solomon's temple. It didn't have near the grandeur or the expense. And then Herod did some more rebuilding, but that temple was destroyed, as we said, in 70 AD. So what is this talking about? That the former devastations will be raised and the ruined cities will be repaired. We're, we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going to repair the people so that they have faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. Now, we've often said that every other religion believes God to be a God of justice in the sense that he's going to give you what you deserve. And that's why they try real hard to do good works, so they deserve salvation. But when the Lord says, I love justice, he's really talking about the justice among human beings. And what's the opposite of that justice? He goes right on in verse 8. I hate robbery and wrong. For example, the people of Israel were being unjust. They used wrong scales to get more grain than they deserved. And the people who brought the harvest got less money. And that was just one example of things that they were doing. And God says, I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. What? Why would God make an everlasting covenant with those who are committing robbery and wrong? Because God came to save sinners, not the righteous, or I should say, those who think they are righteous. So the Pharisees thought they were righteous. They thank God they weren't like that tax collector. And then they named a bunch of ceremonial laws they were following without realizing from the Sermon on the Mount that they were breaking the moral laws, if not by deed, by thought, and by word. So God takes those of us who are 
unjust toward others, which means we sin. And God will give us our recompense. And in fact, he'll give us double better than what we deserve. And he will make an everlasting covenant with us. That new covenant, which Jesus speaks about, and Jeremiah speaks about, and the book of Hebrews speaks about, is a covenant where God says, I will no longer remember their sins. I will forgive their iniquities. Which means when you are a Christian, when you trust in Jesus for your salvation, God no longer holds you accountable for your sin. That's the new everlasting covenant. Verse 9, Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are offspring the Lord has blessed. So there are many, even among unbelievers, who see something different about Christians, that, yes, at the death of a loved one, they grieve, but they do not grieve as those who have no hope. This is not something that the unbelievers recognize as possible because they don't believe in the life after death, many of them. So they think that when their loved ones die, that's the end of them. So, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. Now, why do believers rejoice greatly in the Lord? Scripture interprets Scripture. And so we just have to go to the next part of the verse to discover why we rejoice greatly. Because he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I'm always a little peeved when I hear pastors talking about the gifts from the cross and they only mention the forgiveness of sins. Yes, there's no doubt there is the gift of the forgiveness of sins. But when Peter says, be baptized and you will receive the forgiveness of sins, he also says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not dwell within an individual who is not righteous in God's sight. Well, that would mean that he's not going to dwell within me or you because it appears to us we are not righteous by our works. But the verse is very clear. The righteousness that we receive is a robe of righteousness that he clothes me with. Kind of reminds me of uh, Luke chapter 15, you got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. When the lost son misuses the inheritance he gets from his father, he returns to his father with the hope that maybe he'll get a good paying job. But when the father sees him, he runs out to him, and he is just so happy to see him that the son then melts and repents that he is truly not worthy to be his son 
for he has sinned against his father and against heaven. But then remember what the father does? He tells the servants to go and get a ring for his son, sandals, that was for those who are looked up to, and the best robe. What's the best robe? It's the robe of the father. And he dresses his son who stinks like pigs because that's with whom he had been working. And he receives the robe of righteousness. And then Isaiah goes on in verse 10. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's the metaphor that Isaiah wants you to understand, that that robe of righteousness is put over you, over your sin. In fact, a number of us, we wear various vestments. One is a cassock that represents sin, and the other is a surplus that represents righteousness, which goes over the cassock. And it's a reminder that we have on the garments of salvation because he clothed us with those garments. He covered us with the robe of righteousness. So going on to the last verse, verse 11, for our reading for Sunday. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So in the parables where Jesus talks about a farmer goes out to sow seed, the, the field is the world. You look at the field, in fact, as we go through Illinois, many of the fields are very dark with clay and soil because they've been turning them over, getting them ready for next year. And there's nothing on those fields right now that would help a farmer make any money. It's all dirt. But when he puts in the seed, the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up. But the garden is referring to God himself doing that because the very next phrase is, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. You see, that was the mission of Jesus, to preach repentance and the gospel. And remember in Matthew 28, when he met with the disciples in the upper room and at the end of his ministry, go therefore and baptize all nations, teaching them to observe what I have told you. Now, these were disciples who had rejected Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Only one of them was at his crucifixion, the rest cowering in fear in the upper room. And yet it is to them that God assigned 
the proclamation and the message to reach out and share the message of Jesus Christ with any and many. So that parents bring children to baptism, for in that baptism, those parents receive not only the forgiveness of sins and the children, but they also receive the gift of the robe of righteousness. So the robe of righteousness is mentioned in the Bible, and it is a robe of righteousness that God dresses you in. And therefore, as you sprout up into a Christian, it's not that you're never going to sin again, but when you do sin, you're going to be moved to repentance and sorrow and contrition over that sin, and God forgives you which means he no longer holds you accountable for that sin. So don't tell me that the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is gospel. Isaiah, as we've taken a look at, particularly in chapter 40 last week and this coming week, 61, has a tremendous amount of good news so that we do not have to worry about our sin. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith. Him, hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. We look forward to having you with us. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.